I am live. I guess I am live. That's how this works. Um, it is a Sunday night here for your hosts, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty here on Lions of Liberty. And something very rare has happened. Something that has really not happened for ever, maybe ever, where it's Sunday night, a mere few hours before the next episode of Lions of Liberty is set to air. And I have nothing. I have nothing. I don't have a guest. Now, I had several guests. I've had like three or four guests that I've been trying to work with in the last few weeks. Nothing is their fault. It's a hundred percent my fault because I am in the middle of what a lot of you know that I've been going through. It's, it's changing countries, changing States, changing countries again. Um, and now we've been moving to Florida. We're in Airbnb for a couple of weeks. And now the three of us, my wife, uh, my stepson and I are finally in an actual house in Florida um, and we don't own anything because we actually, we, we Gary Collins to this bitch. We, uh, simple life now to this thing down. Um, I did it first in LA and then again in Mexico city. And then again, when we were in the Yucatan, every single time I cut down on, uh, a lot of the things I owned, uh, a lot of the things that we were holding on to that we didn't really need and cut ourselves down to almost zero before we kind of all moved here to have a fresh start together. Uh, so I'm, that's all a long way to say, <laughs> I wish I, I could show you this. Why not? Screw it. We're live. I don't really go live. So let's see what happens. I'm going to show you where I'm podcasting from right now here. I'm sitting on some pillows. Let's see. Don't mind that. That's just my, that's my shorts. It's fine. I think nothing scandalous. I'm in basically an empty room. Now, at least I do have a podcast room. That's nice. I have a whole room dedicated to myself and podcasting and whatever other kind of trouble I get into here. Uh, but so I decided screw it. I'm just going to go live and talk and see what happens. Cause I don't do that. I never do that. I, I quite literally hardly ever do that. Um, so here we are here. Here we are doing the, just that. I do have this link out the invite link to a few uh, select friends and associates. So I do expect some uh, guest appearances at some point along the way here. Uh, otherwise it might just be me talking for a while. But uh, one thing I want to talk about are, is, is really just, just, um, the idea of new beginnings, because I am certainly in the middle of a grand uh, new beginning in so many ways. And it's really been something to, to have to break down and then rebuild. Uh, I broke everything down. I broke down the full-time job I was at because it became untenable for me for reasons I've talked about before, mandate-related reasons I've talked about before here. Um, but even, even besides that, the, the city of Los Angeles, the state of California, the people that I was around had become untenable in many ways. Now I'm not, I'm excluding my, my very good friends and, and, and that's the kind of thing, but um, I'm not excluding all of my friends. I, I'm not. I mean, I, I have friends that laughed in my face and just told me to take the shot. So um, I wouldn't exclude all of my friends, but you know, any friend that would happen to listen to this is definitely not, uh, you know, it's definitely excluded. I would say, I mean, obviously wherever you go, your friends are, are one of the most important things. And that was the hardest thing probably for me for leaving Los Angeles is I had built a, a family of friends in a way. Now I wasn't from Los Angeles. I didn't grow up in California. I just jetted off there as a wide eye, wild eyed, wide eyed. What's the phrase? Whatever. My eyes were wide and wild. So I don't care. Um, 23, 24 year old, um, a little bit after college to, you know, to become a, a big shot in Los Angeles or whatever. And I, and I did, I became a big time middle of the road libertarian podcaster. So, so it worked out or something like that. Um, but now, I mean, it, it, I, I did that again. I did that 20 years ago. Basically, I, I broke down whatever I had. I hopped in a car and I drove to Los Angeles, not exactly knowing 
what I was doing or where things were going to go or how things were going to work out. Um, I just kind of knew I had to, to start a new chapter in my life. And, and that's, that's something that it's hard to say what, what may or may not have happened if the whole COVID thing didn't occur. But I think it was something I had thought about for a long time. Um, especially as I, I met my wife, uh, you know, not long before all this COVID shit. And that obviously changed my perspective on a lot of things. I started thinking more a lot, not just, oh, is this a cool city I can hang out and have fun in and get laid in? Because it certainly was that. Or is this a place I can actually raise a family and, and show them a good life? And it definitely didn't check that box. I'm not saying it's not possible to have a good life there. But I mean, after the last two years, after the last two years, I, it was just no way. And then you add a vaccine mandate on top of it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for making the decisions that much easier for me. Because one thing that was never a difficult decision was to say, no, you're not going to tell me what to put in my body. Never a hard decision. Never for one second that I considered doing that. Now, I did consider other things. I considered all sorts of things, ways around the rules, you know, ways around things around mandates and this sort of thing. Hello, Reed. The naturalist capitalist has entered the chat. Um, dancingisraelis.com. I really think we should start a boy band called the Dancing Israelis. Someone should. I don't know if it should be me, but somebody should. Had a fun time meeting Reed, uh, Reed Coverdale this weekend. This weekend? Last weekend? These things all run together at this point, but uh, over at um, Yale Revolution, which was Man, it had been a long time since I actually been to a, a Liberty event in person. And if it seems like I'm all over the place tonight, it's because I'm probably going to be all over the place tonight because again, no plan, but um, that's part of the fun folks. We're all on this journey together here. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was, it was cool to, it had been a long time since I had had actually had met not just other libertarians or other Liberty esque folk in person, um, but meeting people a lot younger than me. I don't know if I got older or if everyone just got younger, but this is the first event where it really felt like I was talking to kids. And I don't mean that in a, in a disparaging way at all. Um, I just, I, I really felt the, I don't know if it's the age gap, the experience gap, the life gap um, between myself and a lot of people that were coming up to me uh, and talking to me after the live podcast, we did a lot of people that would come up to me, you know, in the lobby and talk to me or, or what have you. And, um, it was cool. It, it was cool. It was, it was, it's a couple of different emotions going through me. Cause there's, there's people that have told me like, I, I've followed your work for years. I love what you're doing. You inspire me to do this or that. And that's always a cool thing to hear. It's, it's, it's a, it's almost like a too much sometimes, you know, it's like too much weight. It's like, wait a minute. Why, why me? Why am I just some guy who's currently just sitting in like an empty room with literally a couple boxes here and, and this microphone why would I be someone who would influence you? And it's really something to think about because it, I think when I started this podcast, like nine years ago, almost nine years ago, the idea of, I, of course my idea was to influence people, but it was in a very generic way, influence people, but they weren't people. They weren't actual people with faces or names or anything that I could point to. So it was all very detached. It was more about the ideas. Oh, I've got my first guest. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring him right in. It's LB Muniz, who I can't hear. So let's see. Is that my fault or his? Any better? That's probably better. Uh, it was yours, LB. What's up, man? Nothing too much. What's up with you? <clears throat> you know, things. I'm just here live. Oh. Totally 
totally not out of, out of my game of what I was saying, but I didn't, I didn't want to, I don't want to keep you waiting, but um, I was actually just talking about, maybe I can, maybe this could help. How old are you, by the way? 29 Ooh. or no, I'm sorry. I just turned 30. Uh, it's weird how that is. You actually forget your own age. I, I forgot that I was, I was calling myself 42 for a few weeks before I was 42. And then somebody asked me my age today and I forgot that I had become 42, but that just happened. Yeah. That's, that's what just happened in real time. LB, for people that don't know you or people that somehow miss your appearance on Lions of Liberty, why don't you do it for yourself and then we'll uh, we'll regroup here. Yeah, so I'm a writer, podcaster, guy on the internet. Um, I have a Substack which you can subscribe to at beenawake.com, where I talk about news, philosophy, and mindset. All right, well, maybe I can continue on my thought process and you can chime in yourself here because what what I, I was talking about how you know this past weekend, last weekend I was at Yale Revolution and there was a lot of people that came up to me who talked to me about how I had influenced them in some way, um, whether through my podcast, well, just through my podcasting, what the hell else do they know me from? Um, but it, it was this, it's something that's really, really sat with me a lot because when people say that to me, I, I really have this moment of imposter syndrome or something where it's like, even though I know I've been doing all this stuff, I've been doing hundreds and hours of podcasting, writing, whatever it may be for over a decade now, for some reason, when someone, when a real human actually tells me I influenced them, it, it strikes me in a strange way, even though obviously that's the whole point of everything I'm doing or anything that all of us are doing. Why write? Why podcast? Why do any of this stuff? Uh, unless you're just trying to grift or whatever, like we all are. But, um, you know, why, why do this stuff if you're not trying to influence people? But to actually hear a, regu- a real human in person standing a few feet away from you saying, I've listened to you over the years and you've really influenced me, does this weird thing to me where... It, at first it sounds cool and I like it because <laughs> it's like, wow, I guess there was a reason I did all this. And there's the other part of me that thinks, well, that's just a terrible burden because what if you made the wrong decisions because of things I said, what if you pursued, pursued some dumb thing that I said to do be- that I thought three years ago was a smart thing to do that I think is stupid now. So it, it's this thing where it's like, and, and I guess this applies to everybody in some way, whether you're podcasting or whether you're just talking to people in real life, but the idea of influencing other people only recently has that felt like a burden to me, like like something that like I have to take more seriously. Because if I'm going to influence people, I better be goddamn sure I'm I'm at least orienting in the right direction. Thoughts? Do you? Well, so how much of that do you think is tied to the fact that a couple of years ago you were just a podcaster without a family, and now you kind of have the, and now you, I know you have a family, and you've done a lot to, um, you know, make sure that you guys can be together. Probably all of it. <laughs> Yeah. Damn, this is there. This is Lions of Liberty live therapy. Is, is what this is <laughs> with LB Muniz. Um, yeah, probably all of it. And I think that is that's something I think about when I talk to these like young twenty-something-year-olds that come up to me that are kind of like I was not even twenty years ago, not even ten years ago, like three or four or five years ago. Um, and, and it does make me think. Uh, <laughs> How much of what I say at any given time is just is just correlated to where I am at any given moment in life? And I guess that's just called experience. That's just called getting through mm-hmm. life and looking at things differently. But it's I think for some reason this past weekend, like whenever I've been at events over the last few years, like Porkfest or um, various Libertarian Party conventions, I always felt like I was on more equal footing with everybody I was hanging out with. Like we were all kind of on the same mission. And I think for the first time, I felt like I'm diverting a little bit in my thought process while talking to people that were influenced by my earlier train of thought. And, but they're, they're, they're also telling me that they're influenced by my current train of thought. So it's this, it's this kind of conflicting thing where 
I don't want to slap someone in the face and say, don't listen to Mark for the last seven years. Listen to the Mark for the last year and a half. That Mark was smarter. But really, it's all a progression. And it's all it's all a part of you know my own process, which is why I do what I do. So I'll let you respond to that while I bring in our next guest. Well, I also, well, I think, I mean, to that point though, and I've talked about this recently as well, I think there is just a degree to which everybody's kind of on a path, right? And so just because somebody's where you were five years ago, doesn't mean they're going to, doesn't mean they're going to stay on that path. They could end up where you are currently. And I think as creators or whatever broad term we want to use to describe, you know, the, the medium of podcasting and broadcasters who kind of are in this niche, I think as creators, it, it makes it, it it does make it difficult because, well, especially for somebody who has a a pedigree and I don't know how many hundreds of episodes you've done, um, of exactly of for lines of Liberty, but almost 600 now. Yeah. So I mean, after, I mean, that's a long time, right? That's years and years of thought. There's something natural about us changing the way we think. And the fact that we can see who we were so vividly with like video, like I've got, I've, I've had, I've done video diaries at different points and like different journaling methods as, as a kid. Right. And I'm in the Brady bunch here. <laughs> I just don't want to interrupt LB. So continue. And then I'll bring in. No, yeah, but I, and I can, I remember watching one, you know, to, to get a little personal of like where I wasn't in the best of head spaces at the time. My when you say watching one, you mean like having a memory or like just, no, no. I mean like I was, I was poking around on my hard drive one day and oh, I was like, what video, video? Okay. file? Yeah. Like what video file is this? And I can see a video of me from when I was like 20 years old, uh, which wasn't the best time in my life. If I'm just being completely honest and just, you know, seeing like the way my mannerisms and the way I talk were different. And it's, it's a very, it's a very jarring thing that humans have never really had to deal with. Um, interesting enough, Brett and Heather Wine, Brett Weinstein, Heather Hine deal with this in their book on evolutionary biology, where they talk about the fact that this is actually, this could actually be harmful to someone's identity because you can be, you can have like your past mistakes shoved in your face with such clarity that it can prevent you from moving on. So, I, I mean, just to respond to that, then I'll bring in these two other bearded characters that we have here. Like, I, this recently happened to me. Like I was looking at pictures of myself from four or five years ago. Oh my God, another one. And I was much fatter, much more bloated. And I could just tell from my physical appearance that I, I wasn't, and I know I wasn't happy at that time, but like my pictures show it so vividly and it's just messed me up. But anyway, got some other people here. Got Matt Erickson. My God. What's up, Matt? Speaking of people that have that have, been, that have gone through moves and changes recently. <laughs> yeah, I was li- sitting here listening to LB talking about seeing videos of himself from when he what was a crew. Oh my god, is- twenty, and I was I was like I was cringing because I I would not be able to watch video of myself when I was twenty. I, I wouldn't be. I couldn't even do it. That's that like Facebook. Horrible. Facebook memories are really cool because like you Justin Campbell, see- everybody, former Lions Liberty video guy, now current just full time farmer. <laughs> It's something like that. Uh, like looking at Facebook memories, you get to see like cool stuff from because I, I created a Facebook account when Facebook first started back in like 2004. Uh, so I'll get men, I'll get memories from like back then, and it's like, man, why would I post dumb shit like that? Like, why, <laughs> what what even went through my my brain to to think that I should say that? Like, and and even even in the more recent past, like looking at some of my political takes on stuff, just from like four years ago like oh really did i really say that did i really even believe that is that can that be right 
it's yeah, uh, having that window into your soul was kind of weird to to look back on past you. Uh, and I get what LB is saying. Like that's something that the um, other generations didn't have to deal with. And I guess we don't have to deal with it. Like I guess there's a you could just delete everything immediately after you post it. But well, we've all chosen to be internet people, so we have to deal with it. But uh, speaking of internet people, I've got another one here. Tommy Sammons has joined us. My God, look at what's up, brother? Tommy looks like he's having the best night of all of us. I did see. I think I saw a beer there. I do have a beer. I just got done eating biryani. My wife made. Spent all day making. So yeah, I'm I'm having a good day, man. Tommy is always having the best day of all of us. <laughs> I thought I did think I did think I lost a duck this morning, man. I got up and my dude. Two that, my- I, I this is the life I want. I want a life where I can wake up and wonder. Wait a minute, did I lose a duck? <laughs> That's the life I want. I, no, I got up. I walked out of the. I was I was about to make my coffee and I looked out the back window and two of my male ducks were running and they they're never alone. My females are always right behind them. So I'm like, Oh crap. So I get my coffee and I go walking outside and I hear one of my females and I'm like, okay, there's at least one. I I walk out there and she's running across my backyard and the two males jump out of the pond and are like, we're over here, you know? And so she goes and joins them. They go get in the pond and I'm like, okay, where's the other one? There's another one somewhere. Where is she? And the, the three come up to the, uh, the front yard, we have the kiddie pool that the dogs like to swim in and drink out of. And they like, and the ducks like to get in there. So they get in there and they're just squawking and squawking and squawking and going and going. And I'm like, Oh, they haven't found the other female. So I'm like, okay, well I got to go to church. So I went to church and I got home and my wife's like, I haven't seen the ducks all day. So I walk out to the pond and there they all are. All four of them are out there on the pond. And I'm like, okay, you found her. Good. We're all good. So, <laughs> It's like duck tinder going on over here. <laughs> <laughs> I want to do a Justin. documentary where I just spend a couple of weeks filming Tommy and his ducks. <laughs> <laughs> At least my rooster didn't attack me today. That's that's a positive. I wanted to respond to something that Justin was saying. He was talking about looking at his old old Facebook uh, posts and stuff. And what's it, tell me if you relate to this because what weirds me out even more than the content of the posts is the voice that mm-hmm. they're written in. It, like the way that we related to social media 10, or at least me, the way that I related to social media 10 to 15 years ago was very different from how I relate to it now. And I had a, I, I occupied a completely different voice in the way that I posted. And it, it, to me, it's weird because it's like, that's a different person. I'm listening to a different person talk and not just in the kind of the metaphorical way that we're like, Oh, I'm a new person now, but it, like, this is a, the way this person sees the world and the way that they communicate and the word choice and the, the, the tone and everything is all completely different from who I am now. And that that's, that's trippy. That weirds me out. And I don't know how to reconcile that. There was, <clears throat> it was a lot more angry back then for, for me. I don't know <laughs> for, for you, but um, like, was there, the was a lot more, there was a lot more anger in that voice. Like I get fired up about stuff now, but I, even the stuff that I get fired up about, I, I still approach from a, a more humorous and uh, like good hearted position. Like I'm in a much better place in life. Uh, like stuff I read from that I would post from back then, like I was really angry and, and thinking back on it. Like I remember that, I, like I know now that I was really angry. And I think even then I knew that I was angry, but I, I didn't realize that it was like, 
it was that big a part of my personality that it like came out in the things that I said and posted. I think one thing I've realized uh, that I've had to really accept to myself is that like, a lot of the anger that I poured into politics, not that it wouldn't be justified because there are certainly like obviously incredible injustices that occur through our political system that are worthy of being angry about. But I wasn't necessarily angry about things that were inflicted upon me. I was angry about the system or whatever it may be. And, but that, that anger didn't come from that. It didn't come from the actual things there. It came from inside me. It came from me not being happy with myself. It, it came from me being angry about who knows a myriad of things, but it wasn't really the state or any set of laws, which may not may are definitely in, in just in many ways, shapes and forms. But when you're that angry and you're spewing it out there all the time, that's not, that's not politics. That's, that's you. And that, and I see that. I see that in a lot of people. I see that in myself today still at times, you know, where I, I can realize, okay, that wasn't, I'm not mad that someone did this political thing or tweeted this thing. Like I'm just pissed off because I'm having some bad day and I got pissed off at something. And I think that's something that, that now we have this reflection of, like, I'm sure we're, I'm sure even before social media or podcasts, people were doing this in real life, snapping at each other or whatever it may be, even if it's about a political argument and then later realizing, Oh, what an idiot I was, but now it's all there. Now there's no like, you know, no fading memories. Now it's all there for anybody to pull up and show you what an angry dick you are or were. And it's just a, yeah, I don't know how to reconcile it either. Cause it, it's like, I don't want to erase that. That's all part of my growth. And I, and it's, it's all part of what I want to be out there, you know, in, in a way, but like, like you said, like reading Facebook posts from years ago, dude, I listen to pod. I don't really do this anymore because I can't, but if I listen to my podcast from seven or eight years ago, it's just like, it's not even cringe. It's just like, who is that? Like, who is that? Yeah, I made the mistake of going back and listening to one from uh, like a year and a half ago. I mean, I started in September of 20, I think it was. So, like, I went back and listened to one from like baby, uh, from like November, <laughs> December of, of 20, like when I just started and I was really fired up about stuff. And I was like, God, did I really dedicate like 20, 30 minutes to just talking about that topic? <laughs> <laughs> A lot of the resentment that that you see, though, is like you said, it's 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 based off of your own failures and what you've you failed to do. And it, it feels a lot better to go online and attack somebody else for what you see them doing than to go out and change your own life and do something for yourself. I was thinking about that today as I was scrolling through Twitter, mindlessly killing a few minutes and people always say, oh, Twitter is just like people, it's just like the place people go to fight. And, you know, people, it's a hell site and all these other things. And yet uh, everyone who says that never leaves. They just sit there and they, they complain about it and then stay there. Um, but I, it occurred to me that it's not necessarily, I think that it's a place where everyone goes to fight. It's that it's a, it's a microblogging service. The whole purpose of the site was for people to go deliver their own thoughts so people show up, at, nobody shows up to Twitter thinking, okay, what am I going to learn here today? People show up to Twitter to say something. They want to go say something at other people. And then they encounter other people who are also there to say things. And so they just start saying things at each other. So everyone is just sitting there talking past each other. That nobody there, there's Because nobody's there to be productive. Nobody's there for like a productive experience. Obviously, this is hyperbole. There are some people there who genuinely use it productively. and 
probably all of the best friends I have in my life, I met through Twitter, not just through social media, but through Twitter specifically. So it's like, I can't hate it too much, but you know, at the same time, I guess it's just like an interesting social experiment. It's like, well, you the, can go there for mirror for humanity <clears throat> to see itself. You can go there for the news ticker. You can go there for the really interesting deep, you know, threads on any subject you can imagine. Right. But you that's my, that might be why you log in. But what you stay for, yeah. you know, what entertains, I, what I, I think, especially in the political space of Twitter, what entertains us is the back and forth. The train wreck. It is the train wreck. It is the argument. And that's something of, like, I, I've, I've talked about it, but I had another project that before I started Been Awake, and I took like a year and a half where I was just working and not really doing any writing or anything creative like this. <laughs> and in that time frame, I completely changed a lot about myself but also but more, but more importantly when i came back i had a far more i was far more conscious of the performative element whereas in the past that that person on that person before that time on social media was like the happy warrior who just thought everybody could get better if they just understood my perspective that was right? me and in, instead of being a perform instead of now being a performer to attract people who want to you know see the product uh, uh, buy the product that i'm selling Right, which you can you know subscribe at beenawake.com and see that we'll see what that product is. But it, but to the point, shameless plug incoming, <laughs> always and every time outgoing. <laughs> I, I think that is like a, a an interesting shift in in perspective because I think like back in the Ron Paul days for me or what have you, I, I I truly thought maybe I didn't think this logically, but it's it's I acted like I thought this anyway that that if if everyone just learned this thing that the secret of Austrian economics or freedom or liberty or however I was kind of selling it to anybody, any particular person, if only they just learned it, like, obviously they're going to see things the way I do. Yeah, that's, exactly. that's clearly what's going to happen. Like there was no question in my mind. It was just about getting through to them, letting them actually see it. But it is a different thing when you switch that mindset and you stop trying to convince everyone of everything or convince everyone of your perspective and you just decide, I'm going to put myself out there as strongly as possible, which will turn people off. It's a totally different mindset than, than trying to change everybody's uh, ideas about things or ideas about uh, how the world should be. It's, it's putting yourself out there as strongly as you can be, which will include warts and all uh, or what have you. But it's, and it's going to include pushing some of those people out, but it's also going to bring you closer to the right people. And I think that's, that's been the biggest shift in my mindset about how to communicate in the past year, year and a half. I remember um, when I, I, I guess it was like 2019, I, I started podcasting in 2018, I guess. So I guess it was 2019. I was chatting with Pete and uh, I was talking to him. And I was like, look, man, I, I was like, I kind of want to do something a little different than what I've been doing. And uh, can I run some ideas by you? And he was like, yeah, sure, whatever. And so I was like, I'm thinking about doing some stuff that's a little bit more more personal, like you said, laying out the warts and, and just being myself, let people see that I'm, I'm flawed too. Um, I think people get the idea because we get on here and we, we talk and we read a lot and we search through these ideas and change our minds and, you know, work, work with each other on different projects and all this stuff that we don't have problems. And I was like, I, I, I want to kind of talk about, the my past and some of the stuff I've been through and and he stopped me right there he's like look man just you everybody has something to learn from somebody else and I love hearing other people's stories because I'll hear something that I'll connect with and that'll help me work through something I 
I I've been working through. So I've always tried to incorporate like that honesty into my podcast of just being who I am and, and being honest about my flaws and, and my mistakes and, you know, things I've learned because, you know, my grandpa told me years ago, uh, long before he died that a smart man learns from other people's mistakes, but, or a smart man learns from his own mistakes, but a wise man learns from other people's mistakes. And too, too many times in my life, I chose to be smart and not wise. And, you know, if I can, if I can give somebody out there some wisdom, then I think it's worth like shaming myself and, and kind of opening myself up just a little bit. Well, we're smart, not wise, because we always think that, well, I'm going to do it different than what he Speak did. For yourself, I'm, Redneck. I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm going to do it different than he did it. I'm not going to fuck it up like he did. He's, he's definitely not <laughs> as smart as I am. Uh, and then obviously like, uh, that's not the way the world kind of works. And, and yeah. we do tend to make the same mistakes, uh, if we don't, if we don't learn from them and, and pay attention to them. Right. Speaking of being smart and wise, I never do this. Just like I never go live with podcasts ever. I never do what I'm about to do. What I'm about to attempt. If you guys want to join me, because we actually do have a sponsor for this podcast. And I think you guys might know the subject. Speaking of smart and wise, one of the smartest and wisest gentlemen that I have had the pleasure of meeting in the last couple of years is a man by the name of Buck Johnson. And this mm. MFR is running for city council in his beautiful, beautiful, truly beautiful town of Lockhart, Texas. And I'll be there today. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Well, you can attest to the, uh, the, doesn't it feel like you just like drove into the past when you roll into Lockhart? Oh yeah. I love it's Lockhart. Beautiful. It's, it's gorgeous. And I, I'm actually working with, uh, I was actually talking to Buck like two weeks ago. I'm trying to work out a weekend where I can go up there and knock on doors with him. So we should all go at the same time. That would be awesome. That would, that would be awesome. I, we're talking about sometime in October. So um, well, they did, if, they did if, change up the way my schedules are being operated, but we're trying to, I'm trying to get up there sometime in October. If you want to help send all of us to Lockhart, Texas to do a fundraiser for Buck, you too can support Buck, by, who is being supported by our friends at the Mises Mayors. May, wait, what is <laughs> See, this is what happens when I try to do a live read. Formerly Mises GOP, now I think mayor's caucus <laughs> mayor's pack. Thank you. LB. Who's not making any money from that. Uh, yeah. The, the Mises mayor's pack, but um, these guys are supporting awesome candidates and Buck is basically the, I would say sort of the, the, the trial run. This is the, the this prototype. Is the prototype. There you go. Buck Johnson is the prototype for how this pack is going to run and the kind of people it's going to support and the, tr- the kind of legislation it's going to try to implement locally. Uh, I think one thing all of us probably agree on at this point is that like, if we're going to have impact politically, the best way to do that is going to be locally. And one thing we've all seen over the last couple of years, I've seen it certainly comparing myself living in, uh, living in LA for almost the last two years, compare myself to Buck, compare myself to Tho Bishop in Florida. We lived vastly different lives and it is because of the local politics. So this is something that can't be ignored. And what Buck is going to be doing is keeping the very fastly encroaching uh, woke politics of Austin out of Lockhart. Uh, so I really want to encourage you guys. I, I will say myself, like just on a personal level, I mean, I, Buck Johnson is one of the, the, the people I've just been the happiest to have connected with over the past couple of years through podcasting in real life. And I can say he's someone that I, I'm very proud to uh, endorse and say, like, if you are, I don't care if you live in Texas, in Lockhart, I don't care if you live in Ukraine or Zimbabwe. If you are a fan of Liberty, Buck Johnson is someone who's worthy of your support. So please do 
head over to the website that I will tell you about as soon as I look it up. That's right. MisesGOP.org slash Lions is where you can support uh, the Mises Mayor's Pack, which is going to be and is supporting the candidacy of one Mr. Buck Johnson. So I don't know if you guys are allowed to say anything legally. I have no idea how how PACs and advertisements and fundraising works, but I think I, we did, yeah. I think we did everything fine. I don't I, I don't care. Um, I love Tommy Buck. doesn't care. So. I, I love Buck. So, yeah, go support him any way you can, whether you uh, want to become a patron or you want to send him money via PayPal or you want to go through the Mises Mayor's Pack or however you want to support Buck. Uh, yeah. Well, the Mises, Mises Mayor's Pack is who's paying for the ad. So, actually, I do have to say that you have to go through them for this ad purpose. But I don't, Tommy, is, I, I don't, Tommy wasn't I'm paying anything. Obligated. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that was actually the first. This is episode 598. That was the first live read in the history of my particulars. Now, Brian does them every week because he does everything on the fly. But first time I've done a live, I mean, it wasn't a read. That's why I didn't know the website because there was no reading involved. But <laughs> history is being made every single week here. <laughs> Buck is one of the best human beings I've ever met. He is Absolutely. one of the most genuine, sincere, authentic, uh, down-to-earth, straightforward dudes you could ever talk to. The, I, I'm obligated to say all this because he took me out to dinner on Friday night. So. <laughs> We're all just paying Buck back for various favors. He let me stay in his house for a couple of nights. Like, let's see, uh, what what else is, are we owing Buck now? But yeah, if you but see even besides him, that, if you see him in person, be sure to give him a kiss on the cheek. He smells nice. Always. <laughs> sure he does. Yeah, I, I, I shared shirts a, always I, fit just perfectly. Yeah. Not too big, not even too small though. Just right. I shared an RV with him at uh, at Childerberg. Yep. I, can, I can't confirm that Buck smells good. <laughs> <laughs> vote, vote fuck Johnson. He smells great. <laughs> and always delivers. The second half of the show is just going to be a Buck love fest. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's right. like my Friday night. Top five things you like about Buck Johnson each, starting with Justin. No, I'm just kidding. No, well, let There's me. Too many. Hold There's, on, I'll just go get Beatrix. She can come do this. <laughs> <laughs> There's a joke there somewhere, but I'm not going to pursue it. <laughs> All right, what else, guys? Because I don't, I don't, um, you know, I don't do this very often. This whole live thing. I know you guys are always just firing up the old live button, like you know, like Erickson's doing seven hour podcasts with Cyprian, like it's nothing. Like, but this is not, this is not where I'm the most comfortable. So, so we were talking about stuff from the past, and which got me thinking about. Um, kind of a stretch from around like 2010 to about 2015 where I really didn't read anything. Have y'all had, and, and, and I can see from my social media posts and stuff from that time that, um, that you weren't reading much. <laughs> that sounds, <laughs> sounds like a non-readers voice. <laughs> that sounds weird, but uh, like I, there was Bill definitely Hitch a joke. Looks like we got ourselves a reader. <laughs> there was definitely a rut of the types of things that I was posting during that time where I, I could kind of tell that like I wasn't I wasn't engaging or stimulating my mind on anything. Like I I don't think I was even really reading fiction type stuff regularly at that time. Like I wasn't reading at all. Uh, and and I can tell that a lot of the posts that I made like earlier posts when I was reading a lot of fiction and stuff, I was a little more uh weird and goofy and and angry. And then later on post, I uh, was when I was reading more again, I can see that I'm, I'm actually engaging with ideas and thoughts and stuff. But that, that, that like five year period, it's just like, there's no substance to anything that I, that I had to say at that 
time in my life. Um, have y'all gone through stretches or anything like that where you, looking back, you feel like you just kind of like lost five years to uh, middling in uh, midwittery? Yeah, I mean, I know for me, yeah, for sure, and it was longer than five years. Um, as a forty-five years, more, more, well, almost. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm like, is that is that how you spell V? <laughs> um, but no, nah, there was there was a period where I, I was a I was a giant fan of classic literature when I was in high school. I, I read a lot of Dickens and. I read a lot of the beatniks and all, all that, all, all kinds of stuff. Whenever I was in high school, didn't I? Didn't start reading nonfiction. I don't think until I was in my thirties, probably mid to late thirties, just before I started podcasting. But um, I was a huge fiction fan. Um, but there was a period when, when, when stress had taken over my life, and I was really, I was dealing with a really bad marriage and and trying to raise kids and and just trying to keep my head above water and trying to stay sane that I, I was so embedded in my own issues and my own problems that I didn't make time. And I I do regret that. I think it probably would have helped to me if I would have, it would have helped me at least um, mentally to, to cope a little bit better if I would have made time to continue educating myself. But yeah, there was a period like that. It was probably, um, about 10 years where I didn't read hardly anything. I think that bad marriage thing might be a, a common theme for us. Yeah. You and I have done an episode on that. Yeah. <laughs> I, can relate. I can relate to this minus the marriage part, but it's exactly the same. Yeah. <laughs> I was just rem- smart enough not to sign on the dotted line with, with the, in, that, in that situation. Yeah. Something kind of related to this, maybe it's might be an interesting conversation. Someone tagged me in, I have to apologize. I don't remember who it was. Someone tagged me in a tweet and said something like, I think it actually might have been Andrew <laughs> tagged me in a tweet and said, like, how do your, your, your ANCAP priors, like having gone through that stage in your life, do you think that was necessary to get where you are today? It was something along those lines. And I, I don't think I've answered it yet. Maybe I did. And I'm just talking out my ass, but I, I don't think I answered it. Cause I don't really know. I don't, I don't, I don't have a clear answer for that for myself. I basically can land myself solidly on both sides of it. So what do you guys think? It's necessary to my own evolution, but I don't know if it's a necessary step that people need to take to believe. This. No. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's kind of what I was going to say. Like for me. Yeah. Because it, it taught me just enough distrust to read enough material to get me to where I am. So I, I knew better that like being becoming an ANCAP and going through that that stage got me to a position where my mind was open enough where I thought everything was just just lying just enough for me to go somewhere else. And it kept me curious and kept me moving forward. But I don't know if it works for everybody because some people just dig in their heels in, in that stage and think they have it all figured out. I think that's a big mistake that a lot of people, especially, um, and this isn't like really, I I don't mean this in uh, a derogatory manner, but a lot of young people will fall into that trap of thinking they have it figured out long before they have anything figured out. And it, sometimes it takes some really painful lessons for them to, uh, to come to grips with the fact that they have 
more to learn. The, the biggest the market, clue. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say the biggest, <laughs> the biggest, the biggest clue that, that, uh, you have everything figured out is when you start realizing that you don't have everything figured out and you're not gonna well, super the, jinx. Cause I was going to say the same thing. So the more I learn, the less I know. Yeah. Right. Right. I think for it's, me, it's the, the opposite of the more it, you know, like, the more you learn. The way I've described it to my, like in the past, not necessarily speaking directly about this, but in passing, I've said that, I, to me, the, the ANCAP evolution part was really about deconstructing everything I believed before. And for me, at least I had to go through that deconstruction phase to kind of strip everything down to the, to the studs and start really looking at like, what were my base presuppositions? I had to get all the way down to the foundation. And the way that I, what I started realizing is that I was, I was, being induced into thinking that the key to a healthy society and being a healthy person was like stripping everything down to the foundations and then fighting anybody who tries to build anything. Mm. And when that, that as that realization kind of was, was, was coming to pass for me, that's when I realized, okay, I stripped everything down to the foundation. Now I need to start building it up. So instead of looking at, okay, what other thing can I deconstruct? What other thing can I, can I take apart? Whichever, what other thing can I tear down? I need to start thinking, okay, how do I build? What what mm. what goes into building something, um, creating a solid foundation, creating stable construction to build build back up, uh, build back better, I suppose. That like that was kind of the pivot that I've I feel like I've gone through for the last Oh my god, years. speak of the devil. Is this even legal? <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Now, <laughs> yeah this might have a, there might be conflict of interest here now there might be conflict but i think we're far enough away from the paid advertisement to make it fine but we'll check the lawyers that was a very kind advertisement and and kind words from everyone i was listening to it i was watching mark you'll appreciate this i was watching the biography on uh degeneration x uh premiere tonight I and i Isn't saw it so wild that that guy that was in that documentary you just watched doing all that wacky shit is now the head of W runs that whole company. Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's amazing. And I saw uh, Matt put this in his discord and I, so I clicked on it and right when I clicked on it, you guys said a bunch of nice words. So now I want to come on and, and share the love and say, hi, to be clear. That was a paid advertisement. <laughs> I know. I appreciate it that when someone pays so you, everything you should be taken with things. massive bricks of salt. <laughs> And Matt and Tommy need their cut now too. And Justin, right? Start paying all of up, us, Buck. All yes. of us owe, owe Buck a favor or two of some sort, and this all resulted in this entire podcast, really. Hmm. Well, hello. I'm going I'm I'm to title this a, a love letter to Buck, John, an unpaid love letter. To Buck <laughs> I, I do have something to add on to what Matt was just saying because something struck me as he was talking, and I think that when you start digging into this kind of um quote unquote, hidden knowledge of, of the government. And you start uncovering all these conspiracies like Operation Mockingbird and uh, Operation Northwoods and all this stuff. And you start reading. Remember when in, that stuff was shocking and now it seems like such low grade. Yeah, like, so, it's so <laughs> everybody knows about that. Like Right. And you start reading in on the WEF and you, and you really start digging into this stuff. Like there, there comes a point where, where as in when you first discover like anarcho-capitalism, libertarianism, there's a point where you're really arrogant about your knowledge because you're like, oh, I got all this knowledge nobody else has. 
But then there comes a point to where it humbles you because it's like, oh, crap, I got all this knowledge nobody else has and I can't do anything about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and, and so it, you go from arrogant to humble, like in, in the, in the change, I think in what, what we're experiencing as a group, as compared to those that still cling on to that, that labeling and, and disregard what we have to say is that we've reached that point of humility where we understand that, it doesn't matter how much we know it's not going to change anything. And we better start putting like a uh, nose to the grindstone and, and taking some chances and, and taking some action and making a difference, or it's going to just continue to go downhill. And, and it's going to, it's going to reach uh, a speed to where nobody's going to be able to stop it. One thing that keeps coming up a lot is, is I, I hear a lot of like, you know, but you, you you learned this thing and you believe this thing. So how could you believe that, you know, continuing to talk about it so that other people believe it couldn't be productive? But I, I or I don't think anybody here disputes that you can get some people to believe a thing, <laughs> that you can get a lot of people to believe a lot of things. Um, the question That's not the question. The question isn't, can I get a bunch of people to believe in this thing? Um, obviously, yes. The answer is yes. I've met a bunch of people that believe in the thing. Yeah. Yes. That's not the question. The question is so... What does it do? Does, does believing people, in the thing do something? Now, how do you get those people who believe in it to to like do more than? How do you get them to look in the mirror and fix their it? own life before they try to tell everyone else how to fix their? Well, well b- believing believing a thing doesn't stop the thing from happening. <laughs> it's it, like it doesn't matter what you believe. It's it's whether or not you can stop it. You know, it, whether or not you I can, can believe I don't need to breathe air. I, right. I, just, I just I can breathe water now. I believe that. Well, it does. It, I I'm mean, dead. that's not that's not even what I'm saying. It's like there's I a traje- there's a trajectory that is taking place. And it's like it doesn't matter if I get somebody to believe that that trajectory is taking place. What matters is I can convince that person to follow me into stopping that trajectory, whether they know it's taking place or not. It's it's convincing that person that we need to be at point A in order to stop that trajectory. So, however, I have to sell point A to them. That's it. That's whatever, because the point isn't believing that the trajectory is taking place. The point the point is stopping the trajectory. Hmm. I think um, I think what's interesting about us having this conversation versus how this conversation would occur and not amongst a bunch of people who are broadcasters, creators, like I said, of various kinds is, is something that I say on my show, which is that a good question is better than a great answer. Cause you can have great answers for something, but a good question leads you, leads you somewhere better. I feel. And to that extent, I think there are people who I think most people wake up and, or grow up and they're looking for answers. And then there's other people who grow up and they look for questions and they look to then answer those questions. And that extra step is where in arguably, uh, arguably that's where, that's where new things are discovered and new ideas can happen. So to, to the, and so to the broader question of trajectory, it's just about those moments in time where certain people, certain people asking the right questions can adjust the trajectory of whatever you want to talk about the herd of humanity as it, as it were. 
Uh, and I think, and I think that's an interest. And I think that's certainly something I'm very conscious of in what, of, of what I, of what I produce is trying to walk that line and bringing people along that philosophical method of questioning things, which is kind which is <clears throat> I think fundamental for the pursuit of knowledge, but I don't think any, everybody has to pursue knowledge and I never have. I mm-hmm. think for some people it's enough to figure out the basic answers you need and then, and then and then have a successful life because of it, whatever, whatever form that takes. And there's nothing wrong. And there's nothing wrong with not, there's nothing wrong with having that impulse. What can be what, where it gets confusing is because, because of like the school system where you're, where you're told to go, that you have to go and have this liberal arts education as it's called that, where you're, where you're asking these questions until you're 22, 24 years old, you can, you can get confused with the fact that, Oh, well, if, if these people are saying that I, it's like these people say, well, that I have to have a politics. I have to have a completed worldview. I have to have a worldview that I have to defend at the drop of a dime. And I think, and I think that's wrong. I think that's, I think that's too much to ask of most people. And, you know, and so, so to whatever's left of that for the people who ask questions, you know, that's, I don't know. I, th- I just think it's a different path. When we talk about believe there's a, we, we kind of act like, I mean, by we, I mean, generally we, we act like it's kind of self-evident just what believe means. Everyone just kind of agrees. We all are talking about the same thing, but if you start kind of digging into what people believe about what it means to believe, then it becomes pretty clear that to a lot of people believing something means thinking about it. It means like thinking specific thoughts having specific thoughts about it. And like, that's the, that's all that you need. And you can get into pretty, you can get into pretty deep theological weeds pretty quick with this, right. but it belief is to be coherent. Belief must necessarily have an action component to it. What you believe is what you act on. Because if I believe that there's a bus driving by in front of me and I don't want to get hit by that bus. And then I step out in front of the bus then I clearly didn't not want to get hit by the bus. Clearly some part of me wanted to get hit by it because I saw it and I stepped out in front of it. When you, when you are acting, you're making a declaration of your belief of your actual belief, not just the thoughts that you have in your head. So this is like, this is like many libertarians who screamed and raged about vaccine mandates. And then the first second, something was threatened, whether it was just a convenience or food on the table, something legitimate. I understand they, they did it. So uh, that we talk, you um, believe you, they, be, they don't really believe in that well, as much as their actions show that they we do. talked about the belief stuff on uh, James Gentleman's final episode, uh, episode 100 of Blackbird podcast that like when you start when you start engaging with people and breaking down what their belief systems are and the things that they actually like understand um, like the average person, you get to what Matt was talking about where, where they don't. They don't believe anything. They just have this pre-programmed stuff that's been fed into them, and that's what creates their their belief system. Like a belief system has to have some sort of foundation to it. It has to have that, like Matt said, that action step. Like it's something that you that you can not only uh, not only talk about, but that you understand, and that you you don't just mimic the words back that you've heard. You you actually like dive into it. And you put it to use in your life, and and like unfortunately in society today, a lot of people don't have that. Like it, it doesn't go past just a surface level of what they 
what they saw on CNN or, you know, something like that. Well, to answer a question that was said before or that, that, that Matt asked before, which is like, was your quote unquote ANCAP phase necessary? If we rephrase that question to was reading about um, praxeology and, you know, human action, was that something that is that something that you need in order to reach the, the whatever <coughs> worldview that's kind of taking shape around us, if you will? <clears throat> I think the answer is yes. And because that's that's kind of the insight that because, Matt, you kind of inadvertently or purposefully said the insight of human action, which is that you can judge people based off the actions that they take, not the things that they say. And, and it's a far, and again, if we're going to split the world into two types of people, you can look at people who, who want the world to be as they wish it to be. And the people who take the world for what it is, these, mm -hmm. and these are perennial, these are perennial classifications that we've, that humans have used, um, for, for, well, for forever. And I had a recent interaction that was kind of illuminative of this, which was, I was, I had a, I, I had a friend, uh, a friend stop by that I hadn't seen in a long time. We went and got dinner and we were all hanging outside, you know, just like, catching up talking about the world and the subject of astrology came up because she had been like i guess more interested in it recently and i kind of you know and she's like well you know you seem like you don't like it i'm like well i mean i know a lot about it first off like i'm somebody who like looked into zodiac and stuff a lot as a kid because i thought it was fun and i liked harry potter so i wasn't coming from a place of ignorance but we kind of got to Harry a point Potter the, as a kid. What a what a youth this is. Yeah. I am the I am the youngin in this. I am. The I remember in my thirties when Harry Potter came out. <laughs> oh, no, Harry, po Harry Potter was like I read Harry Potter. No, I was in the Captain's Caveman when I was a kid. Yeah, eight years old. But <laughs> and now you are Captain Caveman. <laughs> but we got to a point yes. in the conversation where we, I was saying like, well, okay, so let me make sure we're talking about the same thing here. I'm not talking about you read your horoscope every single day and you kind of think that that applies to your life. Astrology is like the stars rule our lives. LB's right? like, like I'm talking about space is fake, bitch. And she said basically like, well, I'm talking about reading the horoscopes at the Chinese restaurant that I like to go to. <laughs> oh and, and, and that's what and oh. like, but that's OK. Both P and I said, you know, and I kind and I quipped later in the conversation, like, you know, you said that, and it's funny, and I'm the person who wants to write that menu that you're reading. Like, I'm the person who wants to write the thing that you're taking and then incorporating into uh, uh, your belief structure, the things that you actually act upon. And again, just to the different, I think, I think that speaks to again, if I, I talk about ridding ourselves of the egalitarian delusion, the egalitarian delusion is pretending that every single person has to be just as interested in exploring ideas, and so. And that's and that's why it matters. Then who's who's giving people the ideas that they're taking and running with, you know, running running away with? And that's again, you know, and that's when you get into the conversation of power and how do you take power in a certain in a way to actually influence the world for the good? Um, you know, there's a little there's a little chatter in the chat about the ring of power. And funny enough, I just I, I just watched the chat the is like its own debate series, like right now. <laughs> There's a whole separate parallel universe where we're talking Nisha, Evola, like it's, it's it's wild in there. <laughs> And it would like the question was like, can you destroy the ring of power? And the answer is yes, but that doesn't destroy power itself, mm -hmm. right? Pa that was a you know that, that's I think that's at least part of what Tolkien was getting out. And I just happened to rewatch the Fellowship of the Rings Extended Edition, which man, it holds up. Um, well, I mean, it goes back to the the whole like libertarian abolish this, abolish that, abolish the FDA, abolish the IRS. Cool. If you can abolish those little tiny rings, but they're going to come right back if you don't. And you can't if you don't change the, the reasons they exist in the, the the minds of the people or what have you. If you don't, and you, and now I think I, I would 
that's probably something I would have argued like years ago. You, if you just change the will of the people, then I'm a, but and I, I, now I even, even listening to myself they say that sounds silly. I mean, power is going to exist. So where, how do you, I mean, how do you deal with that is the, is the question. You know, that, that's really the only question. How do you deal with that? Yeah. As opposed I, I, to how do you destroy that? I think Plato had the right idea when he was talking about, you, you have to be weary about people that are seeking power because those that seek power are likely to abuse it. So it, it, that there's that, you know, he, this is he, the, the anti-ad for Buck Johnson. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, no, he, uh, well, those he, who seek power for power's sake, that's right. Difference. Yeah. He was, he was talking about like, don't, don't seek power for power's sake because that, that's that those are the people you have to be weary of. Those are the people that you have to watch out for. He was like, you want to seek truth and, and with truth become comes the power. And so you have to be very careful about how you engage in the in the power dynamic. I mean, obviously, but at the same time, you have to be aware that the power is going to exist. And and this is why there was that whole um, there was this kind of like meme or, or, or the mimetic thought that you wanted the person that did not want the power to to be the the person running for office, right? Which is why there were all these moves to um, kind of elect people that did not want to be elected. There were, there was this idea that you were going to try to force them into running for office uh, out of sheer duty and which is not the way things operate. And that's not the way people work. So it's uh, there, there is something to be said about watching those that are seeking power. It's just, you have to be very weary of, of anybody in, in that position, unless their name is Buck Johnson. He's been taking notes vociferously. Or Ron Paul. I was, you know, he's obviously the one you <laughs> think of that, that, that seemed to be a genuinely good person. Yeah. Seeking yeah. power, but not really seeking power. Right. Right. What were you going to say, Matt? I'm sorry. I was just going to say, are you trying to call Buck Johnson a predator? Oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> to this day, I think one of the greatest jokes I feel that like a seven martyr. people would ever get on a podcast was when Steven set up uh, Cyprian for that predator. Joke. That was, that was just, it was like a seventeen-minute setup, and it was pure mastery. And that neither was, one of us had any idea what was happening. That was brilliant. <laughs> it took yeah. me a minute. I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, that, to get that joke, you have to listen to a number of podcasts. <laughs> you know, that is you have to listen to like 15 uh, hours of podcasts. That is a deep cut. Uh, <laughs> so start at so Liberty Lockdown 100 the, and go from there. So talking about the political power thing, uh, I've spent most of my professional career in management. I, I think it, I think the it it kind of you see it in the management world. Like you have the managers that do it because they're good at it and because they naturally feel inclined to lead people. And then you have the ones who do it because they want the power, they want the money, they want to tell people what to do. And, and I think you, um, and it's the same in politics. Like you can really distinguish those pretty easily and quickly 90% of the time, probably because they do have much different styles and they do uh, like the ones who lead because they lead well are the ones that people are like, oh, that's that's like a really good boss. That's one that I, I really enjoyed working for. And the ones who do it for the money and the and to you know to boss people around, 
those are the ones that everybody hates. Uh, and you, you see that um, pretty, pretty easily. It, I, I even think. in the corporate world, it seems like the latter that you're describing, just like in politics is who seems to ascend to the top. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the I don't ones know that what go all the that go, the ones that go all the way to the top are the ones who are seeking power for the sake yeah. of power. And that right? seems like, to be I'm, the case in the free market, or in the managerial free market, or in the managerial government. Right, like I'm plateaued in what I what I'm doing because I don't want to do anything more. Like there there's too much corporate bullshit that's involved with going up to the next level, and I just have no interest in that. I, I like working with my guys. I like being on the floor. I like doing the things that I do, and I make really good money doing it. Like, why would I want to? fuck that up and yeah so that i I mean that is a uh maybe a structural problem with the way the system is designed is that the people who are good at it and do it for the right reasons don't want to go beyond that because they see the uh the bullshit that's involved at those higher levels but is there a way to is there a way to diffuse the bullshit at the higher levels where that the people who are actually good at it want to be like yeah we should we should keep doing this this there's more steps that we could take to to be better at this without getting you know uh, strangled by well whatever it is box cars and box cars and guillotines. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there's um, I mean, there's still some decent CEOs out there, right? And there's plenty of other presidents of small businesses that do you know very very well that are actually looking out for their employees. Um, I think small I think, businesses is the key there, though, because when you come to the corporate yeah. America structure, I mean, look, Tommy, Tommy is the expert on this, and probably of, of all of us here, like in, in ESG America, like, no, you can't go higher than that without becoming completely woke or completely something. Uh, yeah, you have to become different. you have to sell yourself. And, well, and that's the thing. And that's why I spend most the legal of my, requirement now. I know? spend most of my money at the little farmer's market down the road. So. <laughs> well, I would, I would also maybe just, I would put in a slightly different frame there, but I would say that you have to adopt the dominating ideology or religion of your, of your, of your country. And that's what, and that's what you see corporate America doing is adopting this is adopting this decentralized non-theistic religion. I mean, that, that, that is what, I mean, that is the only, I think that is the only, I've been as far as a song that I wrote back in like 2012, if you can believe it, but that's been a theme of, of something of, of what I've kind of always noticed about the corporate world and the political world is that there it's, um, what are the words is that they're trying to play God on the basis of no religion. Right. And so, mm. and so, and we just see that far more manifested now with the pronouns and with the D and with the DEI requirements and with the ESG requirements. Um, I mean, shoot, I just heard a conversation recently where somebody was complaining about the fact that, you know, we're coming close to year end and our diversity numbers aren't great. Right. It's like our diversity hires are a problem. Like we're not hiring enough people with the right, with the right classifications. So I, I do agree that at, a cer- at now, especially at a certain level of corporate advancement, you have to adopt this dominating religion. But then that kind of answers that kind of answers then what must be done, as it were, which is to say you have to reestablish a better moral center for people, and they will follow and they will follow that rule by and large. I'd like um, to actually I'd like to actually do an episode on this with you LB. Like I didn't know you had thought so deeply about it. So this would be something that you and I should get together on and do an episode on. Sure. But, Amazing yeah. how much we take for granted like cuz even before we had the word woke or heard of ESG, I mean even stuff like as far as I remember, I I always put my race and my ethnicity on a job application and never really thought too deeply about why that was. My wife just, you know, we just came, she just came here and started applying for jobs. And she's like, 
why are they always asking me like my race, like where I like this is such racist shit? And she's like, yeah. appalled by it, as she should be, because it's like, what the fuck? But it's like, this is, and she's like, this is just so racist. I'm like, oh no, no, this is this is what makes you not racist by asking everybody about ethnicity. <laughs> Don't you see how it works here? <laughs> Welcome to America. Make sure she puts Mexican on there. Of course. I'm like, yeah, no, make sure she doesn't even get to put Mexican though. Latina AF. Yeah. Her and her and I have the same classification, right? My, my mom growing up was like, you know, you're white, but when you apply for anything, you put Latino (laughs) because that's going to help you. Right. It's, it's, I mean, obviously, right. I have European ancestry. It's fairly evident, but like, but to the point is, but it's like, oh, but I'm still, my wife is whiter than me, but she's, or Hispanic. Yeah. Hispanic, which is just a, bastardized anglican word if i've ever heard one um but you know but it, it it's something that was something yeah talk about that of that always constant identifying i think it's even worse for millennials and in the internet age because we've been doing that since our aol instant messaging profiles right and that was and again when whenever you know we can go let's go down the road when did you get your first profile like that mine was when i was in middle school i was gonna say you were like five i was i was probably using the computer regularly when i was like yeah i think my you know my parents weren't like throw a screen in your face kind of people. Right. Um, and you, and I grew up in a time where of, of dial up towards at, at the beginning, I got high speed internet pretty quickly, but to the point you're always identifying yourself to the outside world. And then when you couple that again with this, with, <clears throat> with this, uh, well, just the cult of diversity, equity, and inclusion, right. When you have that be the moral center for a people use, this is, this is how people react to that, uh, to that gravitational pull. I think, and I think that's that's ultimately what we're talking about when we're getting at the idea of culture. We talked about the concept of power. Power disembodied has many different forms, and I think this is part of this is part of the fusion of thought that's happening now. As you're realizing that that business, pa- yeah, that power that ex- that exists in the business world, of course, that's going to exist in the political world too. It might, but you know, and like, and people are, and there are jerks in the business world as there are jerks in the political world. Instead of thinking, as I think this, you know, you can trace it to a hyper rationalist. Uh, scientific viewpoint that wants to categorize everything into neat little boxes, right? So there's, so there's, po- there's the political space, and then there's the cultural space, and then there's the, you know, and then there's the business space. It's like, well, no, we're actually all beings inside of that at one point in time, and yeah, yeah, right. So, so that's where, and and that's, I think, um, that's a far better way of viewing things than, like I said, that more that hyper rationalist scientific thing where everything has to be taken apart. And again, you see this, you see this demonstrated in the university system, right? What's been the, the, the overarching continental influenced goal of the university is to become hyper-specialized in a niche to where, you know, and these are the people who are, right? No, not Nietzsche. Well, some people for Nietzsche, but, you know, but not everybody, right? That's kind of the idea. Um, and whereas, whereas, you know, if you can take a different approach, which is, I think something that's, I think broadcasters and creators do a lot now, which is. It's a lot, it's more of a, you can call it generalism, but really I think it's about synthesis. I still feel bad for y'all for having to use Latino when I'm married to an African-American. Yes. (laughs) Does she put African-American on her, on her thing? She runs her own business. She didn't care. That's not the point. (laughs) Trying to make a joke. Here's an interesting generational descriptor for you, like a generational partition, um, LB, I, I think you're the youngest here, right? Yes. In the group here. So did you in high school have to take typing classes? Mm. No, I took that in I took that in middle school, in grade school. I didn't. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So you were, yeah. So they were being phased out. I 
I took typing classes, and by the time I graduated, the incoming freshmen weren't taking typing. Is that classes. not a thing anymore? They didn't even know I was going to be that typing was going to be a thing when I was in school. It, it's like it's like you don't have like classes on how to walk. It just it's so Tommy learned Tommy learned to lay rocks on the ground in a letter formation. No, I learned how to write in cursive, like something y'all didn't learn. Yeah, I, did, I, did too, yeah. I, I did. I learned to write in cursive, and I translated to typing. Okay. Yeah, I went to Catholic school. I learned how to write in cursive, and I. Yeah, I was cursive, but, but by the time I got, and they required us to write in cursive up through fifth or sixth grade. But once we got into like junior high and high school, the teachers didn't care anymore. So. I can still remember a freshman year history teacher wanting me to write in cursive and it just being an impossible thing for me to do to where I run away with Tommy's wife <laughs> to where I, yeah, I, I could have, I, I, I like, I think I almost failed that class because I couldn't write in cursive anymore. I had been, and I have horrible, I have horrible handwriting for the record. Like people, people look at my handwriting and they think I should be a doctor. Um, I, yeah. I did have a college professor that he wrote all of the notes on a blackboard in cursive and like the half the class couldn't read anything that he wrote because everybody had forgotten how to write in cursive by the time we got there. <laughs> I also went to school in Texas. So they just probably thought computers were a fad. So, <laughs> they were just like, ah, that won't be around in five years. So. All right, Buck, I saw you writing stuff earlier. I need to know what's in Buck Johnson's notes. Buck Johnson I, is the I'm, most meticulous note taker I've ever met in my life. I do usually take notes. That's funny you say that because like <laughs> there's the interview from the other day, but I I wasn't. Now it's like habit. I get. Oh, the, it's just something you have to do. Yeah, and and now it's like a nervous, not a nervous tick, but you know I don't have my Zipix toothpick here with me, so it's like, <laughs> and I'm just taking all of this stuff in. I was thinking when Matt was talking, and you guys, it's funny. I, I, a lot of it kind of uh, came all together, I guess, organically, but about the. You have to have to believe something and just have this nebulous idea, but not act on it. It might as well not exist because you're, if you know, if you're not going to act on it, you don't. Do you really believe it? That's the entire of our. I mean, I say entire. That's ninety percent of society right now is saying things that you don't actually believe because all you have to do is say them, and that's a status at this point. Um, and we've, of course, all know these examples with the Ukraine stuff and the jab things on your profile. Um, I guess maybe to, to correct myself, the one thing that a lot of people did was they'd have the jab thing and then they really got the jab. So I guess they did believe that kind of, um, thing, but, uh, our whole society exists on just saying things and not actually following through with a genuine belief of it. So when you hear someone like Matt say this, it almost sounds radical, but maybe not to us, but I think it would to a lot of people. And I think if you wanted to break down someone, just kind of an NPC, ask them a few questions to dive deeper into the surface layer of what they're telling you of, um, on politics, of course, or maybe even religion, but there's nothing right below it. There's nothing there anymore. And then it either involve, uh, devolves into an argument or to calling you a name or something like that. But it's just the society is built now on bumper sticker, buzzword, boilerplate slogans. And it's so strange. And I think to LB's point, um, having studied something like Mises and human action, that still sticks with me in my mind when I'm having an argument with an NPC about something or other. And I'll say, you don't really believe it because you're not doing it. Like human action is, is actually what would demonstrate your true belief in this 
item xyz whatever it is but you just say it i mean i can say anything but everyone does say anything you know men can get pregnant no one actually thinks through that and believes it right it's just a saying Mm. so anyway that's where my mind was going through all of this it's just thinking we're surrounded we're immersed in this type of thing right now and i think that's what makes uh seeking something deeper than that more appealing to to people like the ones in this discussion right now and in this the, the discussion on the side too i would say and maybe mm-hmm. that that's where like a lot of the value and i guess what all of us went through you might say um is in in austrian economics that i don't think any of us reject austrian economics it's all it's uh it describes economic realities in a way that actually makes sense. But then at the same time, I think, do I need, did I need to read a thousand pages to know that? <laughs> could, could I just, could I just look out my window and just observe what people are doing and understand the same thing? So it's like, yeah, I think for us, maybe for certain type of like people that are intellectually minded that maybe I feel like I need to read a thousand page books to think I actually get something. But in reality, when I look back, a lot of the things I've learned from books and like, they were really just telling me things that I, I could already see around me, you know, like, like even now when I go back and read certain religious texts and I, I, that I, I thought were silly when I was younger, I, I look at them and I, I see, oh yeah, this is just telling me what I already understand around me. If I just take the time to, to let it sink in. I think sometimes it helps to see a maybe a more accurate perspective on some of these things. I mean, with, for me, for sure it does. And that's why I'll hear a podcast or, or read a book. And it's something I, they'll say something that I had kind of been thinking, but then it clicks better when you see it written by a more or, sp- or spoken by a more articulate person. And it's like, yes, okay. That is kind of what I was getting at. And I think a lot of us felt that way um, when we first encountered Curtis Yarvin's writings, maybe, and things like this, and and Mises, and Matt's funny. You say Austrian or economics. Just Ron Paul saying stuff on a stage. It was correct. like, oh shit, yeah, that's yeah, correct. And, and, that, it, and it makes it okay, kind of, to think what you were thinking when you hear a quote unquote authority uh, that says the same thing. It's like, okay, so I'm not crazy. That that is what I was thinking. You heard a lot of people say that when Ron Paul got big. I'm not crazy. You know, he he cured my apathy. And Matt and I were just talking. Um, because people, I know there's people that will lump many of us in this chat and say that we're like, we're anti-libertarian or something like that. And, and for the record, I'm not, but Matt and I were just speaking at dinner the other night on our date that we, the Austrian, uh, people within the Liberty circle are the ones that we agree with the most, the the Jeff Deist, Lou Rockwell, and the people at the Mises Institute, they're always the best ones as opposed to reason magazine or Cato Institute it's because we still have this natural um, pull towards Austrian economics. And, and so I thought that was interesting as well. And like the perfect people think, like, uh, Oh, go ahead, Mark. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm like, I don't know, man, maybe I should just let Tommy talk. I mean, I've talked for like 598 episodes of this thing <laughs> and I forgot what I was going to say. So go for it. I was just going to say the people like a uh, Jeff Dice or Lou Rockwell, they're, solely focused on the truth they're not they're not trying to church it up to to meet any false principle or to score some points uh, you know and they're not trying to score points with anybody exactly exactly and that's what makes them so good is because people, you know people you want to follow right you know you're reading like a well thought out real ideal that is is not pandering to anyone not a coincidence. I've never seen a cringe headline from the Mises Institute, from Mises.org. I've, right. I, and yet I've seen, I don't know, a 
dozens, hundreds from Reason? Mm -hmm. Yes. That's not a coincidence. I still get the daily Reason uh, email briefing because I do find their perspective. It's it's one I'd like to know, even if I disagree with it about 70% of the time, probably. But it's funny, depending Mm -hmm. on what the topic is, like they were big on right sending stuff on Mm -hmm. Roe v. Wade. And I knew it was going to be a cringe take before I even read it. I, I knew they're looking for pro-abortion stance and, and how to cloak that in liberty terms. And, and the, the same thing, they're, they're looking for pro-sex work. Is, they love that term, sex work. They're looking for pro-prostitution um, points of view and cloak it in freedom. So I, I've always found that funny about well, these guys. Going back to an analogy I made before, right? Because they're, <clears throat> they're, the question they're asking is, how do I justify abortion? Bingo. They don't, they don't, uh, people like that are asking, how can I, how can I justify abortion or can I justify abortion? Whereas others, <clears throat> I think most, I think most of the people here include, it's like, well, I don't think killing a baby is right. Correct. It's not a matter of, can I justify it? It's that I, you know, is take, is, is it a life? Well, and more importantly, is, we don't have the desire to try to justify it. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. And I'm not going to spend any time, any, any time doing so. And I think there's, and I think what's interesting about that is the people who are on the other side of that, they're always expecting the person, the, they, the, the conceit of left liberals is that theirs is the only enlightened position by definition. And so I think one thing, one thing that is interesting about the idea of an American right that we all sort of fall on is, is just, is realizing like, for me, that was a huge clear. That was like a clairvoyant mo- moment where it's like, oh, that's because I've always taken an anti-Marxist stance throughout my the entirety of what can be considered an intellectual career, including in university settings. And there was always little things that would happen that didn't make sense. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and people explicitly saying like, oh, you shouldn't you, you probably won't you get very far because because people won't like won't like those kinds of things. Right. Um but it all, but then it, you know, in this narrow world of college, but in the broader world, it, I think it, in the broader world, it has an effect as well of there is a power in saying thing and calling things for what they are. And a lot of people are programmed to run away from that sort of authentic, uh, authentic expression and authentic, um, uh, search for truth, if you will. Uh, so, you know, right. And, and I think if you, if you folk, I focus more. I, f- I try to focus when I have conversations with people, especially people who don't, who aren't aware of the fact that I do this, right? Is I'm more interested in trying to interact with them at where they are, um, and to kind of see if there's anything we can do or any, 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 any consensus we can come to. Um, so like going back to that same interaction, there was a moment where, you know, we weren't, we didn't talk politics the entire night, except in that it was something that we, we were talking, but we talked about dating. And like, and it was funny how the same sorts of things actually manifest in that conversation because, it, well, I think because in part it ha- that, that goes back to what I was saying before is really, this is not a, po- it's not even a politics question. It's a morality question, right? And if you don't get the morality, right, the politics, it, the politics are beside the point um, to a certain extent. And so, but there was one, there was one moment, I think I used the term weak men, right? Which is like a meme. And I kind of used it on purpose and, and they, and like, she like recoiled and I'm like, well, don't you think it's a weak man who says, who tells a girl that he wants to have an open relationship so he can sleep around? Like, that's what I, cause I was right. And it's like, oh yeah, well, I agree with that. And there's just like, he's like, you're so frustrating because you go one direction and then you, I think you're going to go one direction and you say something else. 
um, that was something that they that uh, Plato Socrates was said to have had was that you know the idea of like numbing people into a sense of they didn't know which way was up. Um, but I think it but I think it relates well to the people who are just willing to speak what they know to be true. And that and that's something I think that's evident. And if you're the more you're clued into looking for that, the more easy the, the easier it becomes for you yourself to say those same things. Well, Matt had to bounce, and I, I, I'm I, I could keep this going for hours to be honest, and I know the chat could keep their conversation going for many more hours. But the truth is, I in six hours I got to drive my wife to the airport, about an hour and a half away. So I'm gonna wrap this this thing up. Um, but we should do it again sometime, and I have a feeling we will. In, in whether it's on. Uh, Probably not this podcast. Maybe some other podcasts. <laughs> this will happen again in the future. Um, but thank you all for hopping on here. This is the this is the most last minute thing ever. I had no show planned. Toss a link to some people, and you wonderful people all showed up for me. So thank you so much. Um, check out King Pilled, Matt Erickson. Check out Fact Chest. Th- check this, Justin Campbell. Check out uh, Ben Awake, LB Munez. Check out Counterflow with Buck Johnson. Check out Year Zero with Tommy Salmon. Did I miss anything? If anybody wants to shout anything else, I missed thank your you. show. Yeah, <laughs> Lions Liberty. Thank you guys so much. Oh, wait, maybe you can join me together. Speaking of, of, of phrases and, and things of this nature. Yes. It's been a while, but perhaps you could all join me in wishing that everyone out there live long and live free. Not bad. I'll take that.